I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining me this week. Not a lot of you joined me last week, so you might want to go back and hear that episode too. It was a good episode. But uh, these things sort of happen in waves. I don't know what it is. Maybe uh, I didn't title last week's episode titillating enough so that folks would say, ooh, what's that all about, and and click on it. But it was a very good episode and a lot of good information in there for you if you missed it. Do you want to hear a, a Jewish proverb? It goes like this. The girl who can't dance says the band can't play. You like that? Say it one more time. The girl who can't dance says the band can't play. You can use that in a lot of different areas of life. Some, you know, the, the people who say, oh, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, is that, is that so? Are you sure <laughs> that uh, you just, you're not hearing the music? Speaking of which, I've got my, uh, for those of you who are watching me here on Rumble or on YouTube, this is my, my personal journal, top secret if you open it without a code, it explodes. So I've already punched in the code. I wanted to show you that on all my personal journals, I have the inscript this inscription on the front and the, on the front cover. So I hope that showed. Uh, I can't. I can't see if it was in focus or not, but. Uh, if not, then I'll take a picture. I'll superimpose it on the video. For those of you who are just listening to the audio, what I've got written in the front page of my personal journal is this. Those who hear not the music think the dancers mad. And that comes from a quote that I saw on a on like a greeting card in Huntington, West Virginia in 1996 with my best friend Jordan you know you you ever have these these moments in your life that just seem so insignificant you don't think that they're gonna follow you throughout your entire life and yet they do and then you have these memories that you think man I'll never forget this and of course you do it doesn't stick with you well this is one of those memories that I can remember as clear as day us checking out cards we were looking for a card to buy a friend of ours and I come across that and I it just struck me so profoundly those who hear not the music think the dancers mad and it had um, some stick figures 
uh, of people dancing on the front of it. And it left such an impression with me. Imagine, imagine that you don't know anything about music, but that you're watching people dance around and you can't hear the music that they can hear. How ridiculous they, they look to you. They look like they're out of their mind, don't they? But it's only because you can't hear the music. So I've held on to that and I've applied it. I mean, I've thought, referred back to it many times in life with the work I do here on Last Symptom. Happens a lot. A lot of people know you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Well, I say, wouldn't you like to hear the context? Wouldn't you like to hear the full explanation I have for the, why I say what I say? No, you're just wrong, you're just wrong. And then they just go off. Really a foolish way to, to live life, I think. But that's, that's my life, right? I use that to, in the way that I go about life. So, for example, when I, when I look at somebody's, uh, something somebody's saying or an argument that somebody has, and my, inc- my first inclination is, oh, they're out of their mind. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, I think back to that. Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. And I think about, I'll now think about this Jewish proverb. <laughs> the girl who can't dance says the band can't play. Uh, and it kind of keeps me in my place, right? What I would be so easy to dismiss, thinking of that gives me pause and makes me say, well, well, Barnett, maybe, maybe, maybe it just seems stupid to you or seems unlikely or seems impossible because you're not hearing the music. So uh, why don't you at least open your ears a little bit and give it a fair hearing? hear it out and see if you still feel the same after you do that you might still conclude that it's ridiculous and stupid but it'd be foolish to not at least hear it out um we're we're in autumn we're in the fall time here where i'm at and i know other folks who listen to the show or uh going into spring right going into spring and summer's coming up for you all but uh, here where I'm at it's fall and it reminds me of an experience I have with Diana my ex-wife that I thought I'd share with you we lived there in Philly we just bought a new house and uh, the we, we lived for a short time in a condominium and at that condominium caretakers did everything so we, we just had this little tiny yard but the caretakers come, they cut the grass, they uh, rake the leaves, they they did all the lawn maintenance at that condominium. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't like it. I felt, I, I didn't like it at all. You know, where I grew up, I grew up on you know, thousands of acres of land and woods and uh, moving to the city and having somebody do all that stuff for you, um, how can I describe it? It felt like a loss of freedom. It didn't feel like mine. Like if somebody's doing that stuff for me, it doesn't feel like mine. So we moved out of that condominium at my insistence and we bought a house. At about the time we moved into the house, it was it was autumn, it was fall. So it was a great pleasure for me to uh, go down to the Home Depot 
and uh, buy a rake and get out and start raking all the leaves and everything something I hadn't been able to do for a while since I'd moved to the city <laughs> you know when you got to do it when you when you grow up having to rake leaves or something like that <clears throat> you don't enjoy it but then when you go without it and somebody's doing all that stuff for you you start to miss it and that's what had happened so uh, bought a rake raked up all these leaves got this big nice big pile of leaves there at the new house where we were living and I was feeling playful with Diana my my ex-wife I said come here and I grabbed her and I picked her up she's squirming and what are you doing what are you doing and being playful I tossed her into that big old pile of leaves and I was imagining that she would just kind of like a an egg in a nest just kind of sponge you know kind of bounce on those those leaves and that's not what happened at all that is not what happened at all those leaves flattened straight down and my ex-wife who I had just tossed into the air six feet in the air hit the ground like there was nothing there and again I was imagining this romantic playful thing where I'd pick her up throw her into the leaves and ha 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 she'd be all happy and giddy and everything that did not happen those leaves which were piled up really high did not support her at all they did not it wasn't like throwing her onto a bunch of pillows it was like throwing her onto nothing like there's nothing there and she just went bam and hit the ground and I heard her hit thump and saw her hit and man I felt bad about that I said are you okay are you okay I did not expect that I am so sorry I did not mean to hurt you oh she says it's okay it's okay but it's kind of like a, a football player who just got tackled and has a concussion keeps telling the coach no I'm alright I'm alright even though he can't walk straight that was sort of like what she was dealing with but you know it's both a a, a humorous story uh, at the same time, I still live with the regrets of, of having done that to her. And at the same time, it's a, t it's a learning opportunity, isn't it? Definitely a learning opportunity. So, fellas, learn from my experience. Yes, it seems romantic. You see it in movies and stuff like that. But you need an awful lot of leaves. An awful lot of leaves to create the kind of cushion that, that you're imagining. So don't go throwing anybody into a big pile of leaves unless they just weigh, you know, 13 pounds. Then you might get away with it, but not but not somebody who weighs 100 pounds. Announcements. TheLastSymptom.com That's my website full of free resources. And uh, a lot of those resources are ongoing. You're taking advantage of one of those right now, which is... Uh, this weekly show there's some paid resources over at thelastsymptom.com and they finance my ability to do this so check that out if you get a chance thelastsymptom.com paid resources tab but first go take take advantage of the free resources tab had somebody uh, talking to me not long ago about her sister having a baby she says uh, while I'm happy to have a part in his life I'm very scared for the damage that will happen that I have no way to stop so a bunch of unhealthy people in her family she'd been learning from the last symptom starting to see how 
what sorts of messages we communicate in our attitudes and behaviors. And now she's looking at her family, like her sister here who's had a baby. And she's thinking, oh my gosh, my sister is going to transmit all these messages to my nephew. I'm scared about that. Nothing, nothing I can do about it. I can't stop it. She says, I, I know I can do my part as his aunt, but I can't raise him to know that he can be afraid if he's afraid, sad if he's sad. I can't raise him to know that he can talk to an adult if he's feeling a certain way. And all these things. And speaking about the last symptom, she's, this show you're, you're watching or listening to, she says, I find so many people around me could really use this, this show, the information in this show, but have absolutely no interest in actually working on themselves in any way. They just want to complain and declare that this time they will be different, I swear. And here's what I said to her, and by extension I would say to you, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Now, I'm not saying that to be rude, and I'm not saying it out of anger. Um, and certainly there are finer or softer ways that I could say the same thing, but that's what it really comes down to. It really comes down to minding your own business. That doesn't mean to say that we stop caring. That we, we just don't care at all. We're not emotionally invested at all in our family members and our friends and things like that. But at the same time, it's important to remind ourselves that our caring does not grant us rights, responsibility, or authority over other people. Our caring does not grant us, for example, in this case, in, in her case, the mother has certain rights as the child's mother. But you as the aunt do not share those rights. And you might even care more than the mother does. It still doesn't grant you rights. Her relationship to the boy is as an aunt, not as a mother. So there's really no sense, is there, in sitting around losing sleep over the fact that you can't educate her son as if you were his mother. Don't have any business occupying your thoughts and your concerns in that way. The answer is acceptance, to let it be. Is it unjust? Yes, it is unjust. But, you know, you got to think about, for example, I was talking about not too long ago, my job as a medical interpreter. My job as a medical interpreter, Spanish interpreter, in, in the medical field. As I'm standing there interpret, or interpreting for a nurse or for a doctor or for a surgeon and interpreting for the patient who doesn't speak English, what would you think of me? Or how effective as an interpreter would I be if during that process I were to push the doctor aside and say, hey, you listen, I don't feel like you're doing this right because um, I've worked with lots of other doctors 
and I've seen the, the medicines that they would prescribe in this case, and I've seen the steps that they would take in this case and the, and the suggestions that they would make in this case. And, you know, so frankly, I feel like that that's the much superior way to handle this particular patient, and I don't feel like you're doing it right. So, doctor, you just stand aside um, and let me take care of this. I'm going to take care of this now. I would no longer be serving in the capacity of an interpreter if I were to do that. Is that correct? I would no longer be serving in the capacity of an interpreter. Instead, what I would be doing is I would be inappropriately, offensively, assuming responsibilities and rights and authority that don't belong to me at all. What it would be is it would be a failure to see where my job as an interpreter begins and ends. It would be a failure to see where my place in this whole situation is. And then of being content and satisfied to stay in my place and do my job. Same thing with a nurse. You know, I've worked with many very skilled nurses. Take somebody, a drug addict, had all their all their veins blown out. So very hard to find a, a vein to start an IV or something like that. And I've seen some very skilled nurses say, I'll get it in there. I'll get it in there. And they do get it in there. No matter how vein, hard the veins are to find, they get the IV started. Now imagine that I'm working as, as an interpreter with all this experience. I've been exposed to all this experience. I know all these things. And now a, a young nurse, only been working for a year, comes in, she's got to do an IV on somebody whose veins are very hard to find. Can you imagine me as the interpreter saying, hey, you don't know what you're doing. So as the interpreter, why don't you step aside and let me do it? It might be true that that nurse is not going about the thing as well as she could be. It also might be true that I know that she's not going about it as well as she could be. And it also might be true that I know there is a better way. And I know what that better way is. But I'm the interpreter. I'm not the nurse. Do I recognize where my responsibilities, rights, and authority begin and end. And am I content to work within that and to observe somebody do it the wrong way? Observe somebody do it the wrong way in the interest of staying in my place. Can I do that? Well, the answer is that yes, I can now. I do it all the time as exaggerated as those examples might seem are not exaggerated at all and actually the idea that you would assume the role of somebody else's mother for them is much more exaggerated wouldn't you say this is not just we're not just talking about hey step out of the way let me do an IV let me run an IV we're talking about you assuming the responsibility, rights, and authority to mother another child. That is not being content to stay in your place and recognize 
that you, those rights don't belong to you. That authority doesn't belong to you. That responsibility doesn't belong to you. So it doesn't necessarily make it a lot easier emotionally to watch somebody go about things the wrong way or the hard way or whatever. But to be healthy and to stay healthy means to recognize your place and to be content to stay in your place, not to assume rights, responsibility, and authority that simply don't belong to you. Recently, on a live stream on Locals, our online community, which you can join by going over to thelastsymptom.locals.com or you can download the locals.com app and uh, just search for The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett. But on a live stream there, I was talking about um, viewing, for example, a relative hurting themselves by making poor decisions, one poor decision after another poor decision. That is not easy, no matter how, how healthy you are. But you achieve absolutely zero, absolutely nothing, when you step out of your place and try to assume rights, responsibility, and authority that don't belong to you. Do you think it's going to be well received if they have not asked for your opinion, have not asked for your feedback, have not asked for anything from you as far as, hey, will you live my life for me? But you do it anyway? What is the only result that you can expect if you take it upon yourself to live somebody else's life for them, to make the decisions for them that only belong to them? It's their life. They're allowed to live it however they want, the same as you. How do you think that's going to be received? Well, it's not going to be received at all, uh, well at all. And um, so whatever positive outcome you might imagine could result from that is not the result you're going to get. You're not going to get any positive result out of that. Now, that is quite different than if your sister comes up to you and says, Boy, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. Do you have any suggestions about how I could better parent my son? Then all bets are off. Then you can say, I do have some suggestions. I've been thinking about this a lot. Here's what I think. Here's what I think you're doing wrong. Here's what I think you're doing right. That's quite. Di that's entirely different. You see, there's nothing unhealthy about that. But it's when you observe other people's lives and you want to live it for them. Observing your, your siblings' kids and saying, boy, I don't think they're being raised right is stepping way outside of your place. It's stepping way outside of your place. Why is your attention there? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Um, another thing we were talking about on that live stream on Locals, which, by the way, I am pretty certain that I'm going to start doing a live stream every Monday on Locals. So if you're not a part of our group, you might think about joining because you can uh, interact with me on those live streams. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Small talk with you, chew the fat, along with the other participants. Um, and for the record, a live stream doesn't mean you're on camera. It just means that I'm on camera live. So nothing scripted. You can say what you want to say and uh, or ask me what you want to ask me and we can see if we can come up with any constructive insights to help you. It is the tendency of unhealthy people to tend very strongly to look outward, outward, outward. 
And that doesn't work if you are interested in genuine, authentic recovery and maintaining authentic emotional health for yourself. Because that is the the fundamental way emotional health works. It's people minding their own business. You say, well, Barnett, you're not minding your own business. You're here on my screen telling me all these things I should do and shouldn't do. And yes, because you've come here looking for those answers. And I'm somebody who was once in a position that many of you uh, are in or have been in. And I escaped that. So I've got some insights to share. But uh, I'm not. Here's the way our relationship works. I present information. And I put it out there. You yourself are the one who's choosing to watch this. It's not being forced on you. So the fact that you're hearing this is as a result of your decision, not mine. I'm simply putting it out there. People who feel like they can benefit from it are free to. And those who feel like I'm speaking a bunch of goobity glop and, and I got nothing to offer them. Um, interestingly enough continue to listen in many cases <laughs> I don't know why but they do those who really feel that I have nothing to offer under no obligation to keep watching this are you you can turn it off anytime you want so that's the difference this is not me going up to your sister and saying hey here's what I think about how you're parenting your children nope this is me putting it out there into the void well, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like um, it's like me going to the park with a bag full of seed. And I've sat down on a park bench and I've sprinkled some seed out there. And now here come the squirrels and the birds and the pigeons that, that want that seed. Am I forcing the birds and the pigeons and the squirrels to eat that seed? Well, clearly I'm not. I'm, I'm just laying it out there. They're making the decision for themselves that they want that seed and that they're going to take that seed. It's not me forcing it upon them. You going to your sister and, oh, hey, you got to, here's how you should raise your kids. That's not just laying down seed for just anybody, anybody who wants to come and take it. That is concerning yourself with things that you have no right to concern yourself with. How your sister is choosing to parent her children. Who has the right to decide how to parent her children? She does. Only people who maintain this focus and respect for what I call the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority get anything done. Why do I say that only people who maintain focus upon and respect for the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority get anything done. Because it's only their attention and energy that's not being wasted. It's only their attention and energy that is not being wasted on completely on things that they have complete, uh, absolutely no control of, rights over, or authority over whatsoever. So when you respect the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority... It means your attention is always where it, it can have an effect, where, where you can bring about change, where you can make decisions and make changes. That's upon yourself, 
Now, of course, this applies to uh, our children, too. If we have dependent children, they fall within our rights, responsibility, our inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. Anytime you catch yourself looking out at how other people are parenting their kids, stop that. Mind your own business. Turn your attention back to how you're parenting your kids. Because I'll tell you what, if your focus is upon other people and how they're parenting their kids, and you're concerning yourself with what you can do about it, about them, the way they parent their kids, well, I can tell you pretty surely that you've got some parenting issues of your own to work out because a healthy parent wouldn't be doing that. A healthy parent would be concerning himself or herself with his or her own kids. Your attention and energy can't serve a purpose when it is obsessing about things utterly outside of its control. So in my own life, I look out at situations similar to what this person's describing. I've talked about being in the grocery store. I see parents, through their behaviors and attitudes, communicating terribly unhealthy things to their children. And I know that's going to have an effect on those kids when they grow up. And they're going to be dealing with a lot of the same emotional disorders that are plaguing society right now. But I only allow non-judgmental observation, which means I'm not sitting there passing judgment on the parents in my heart. Like, those are bad people. Those are bad, stupid people. I'm not doing that. If my circumstances had been a a bit different, uh, I could just as well have been the person in total ignorance passing on those sorts of unhealthy messages to my own daughter. That doesn't reflect the quality of person I am on the inside. You know, my, my heart condition, to be poetic about it. When I had an opportunity to emerge from ignorance and change, did I take that opportunity? Yes, I did. So it would have been a mistake for somebody back then, just because of my ignorance and those sorts of things, to pass judgment on me, wouldn't it have been? And it, it, frankly, it's none of, it's, it does not belong to people to pass judgment on other people. I feel like I've been bringing God up into a lot of our discussions here lately, and I I don't mean to do that because I know that um, I have probably, probably just as many people who watch or listen to me who do not believe in God as do. But, uh, you know, I'm going to bring it up again now because it, it's relevant. The way I look out at the world and life and the way I live my life is that God is the judge. God is the judge, not me. Now, that's not to say that I can't observe your life and point out the mistakes that you're making or the things that I feel like could be done better and then turn that inward and benefit myself from that, right? If I see a guy talk, touching an electric fence time after time, and, uh, and I know that's got to hurt, am I passing judgment on him by observing and going, Hmm, well, I know what I'm not going to do. I am not going to go over there and touch that electric fence. I'm not going to, because it looks like it hurts. Is that me passing judgment on him? Not at all. But it is me observing non judgmentally and using the observations that I make to benefit my life or to make adjustments to my life. And that's really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about observing non judgmentally. Observe not in a judgmental way like to pass judgment in my heart on a person for their decisions in life 
uh, or their ways of going about things. It's simply to observe and then turn that information and apply it to my life to either benefit myself or to avoid some destructive uh, eventuality or to to make adjustments in my own life about what I think uh, or what I see from that observation uh, is good or, or bad, healthy or not healthy, I should say. Another thing to keep in mind, what does it mean when you're able to look at your sister or your family member and you're able to say, that's her life. She has every right to do it how she wants to do it. I'm not passing judgment on her within my heart. I'm just making observations and, you know, turning that inward, I would say that's that's definitely not the way that I would want to go about life. It does not seem like the most logical way to do things. It doesn't seem like the way that makes most sense. So. So I'm going to learn from her example by avoiding certain of these things that she's doing. Her life is her life. What is that a demonstration of? This would tie in pretty good to the discussion we just had a few weeks ago um, until I found you that episode was. I think it was episode two or three of this season. What is it a demonstration of? Isn't it a demonstration that you view her as an individual? Yes, an adult free agent, a human being unto herself. Because it's recognizing and respecting that she has all of the same rights, responsibility, inherent rights, responsibility, and authority over her individual life as you do. You see that? It's not easy, always to watch somebody who you are certain is doing things in the worst possible way and that could end up in pain or hurt for them. But what does it demonstrate when you're allowed to refrain from offering unsolicited advice and those sorts of things and to, and to worry about yourself? In other words, to mind your own business. What does it demonstrate? It demonstrates that you do view and respect them as an individual. Isn't that interesting? You'd say, well, no, if I if I viewed them and respected them as an individual, I'd hop in and try to save them from all their stupid decision-making and stuff like that. Mm-mm. No, that's what you do if you do not view them as an individual. That's what you do if you view them as being subject to you, as you having responsibilities, inherent responsibilities over their lives, inherent rights over their lives inherent authority over their lives that's what you do when you do not recognize your place and recognize them as a standalone uh, adult free agent with all the same rights and responsibility and authority that you have inherently minding your own business ladies and gentlemen is a demonstration that you recognize and respect people as people as individuals and it means you know when you're viewing them as individuals as people this inherently means being okay with them living and managing their own lives and affairs however they will whether you personally view it as something good for your own life or not person says I I hope it'll get easier me trying to do this 
Maybe you were thinking that. Maybe you were thinking, boy, I hope it gets easier doing this. Well, it will, but only in direct proportion to how much you can let go of what doesn't belong to you and develop greater acceptance. Acceptance in the sense of, well, I'm looking at this, uh, I recognize what does belong to me to be to be concerning myself and what does not um coming out of south carolina where i i go from time to time for vacation kept passing this sign in north carolina a town the name of a town called black ankle black ankle north carolina when you drive down the road and you pass interesting like the names of interesting places like that do you just brush it off and and not think any more deeply on it than that well that's what i did the first couple times but then about the fourth time i saw it i said there's got to be a story behind that this black ankle north carolina you folks in North Carolina or the Carolinas who know about Nor- uh, Black Ankle might enjoy this. So I took a mental note. I said, I got to research that sometime. And I did here this past year. I printed this off, been meaning to share it with you folks. And now's the time. Black Ankle, North Carolina. How many of you living there in Black Ankle know why your town is called Black Ankle? Well, here's the explanation. It does come from around the 1920s or 1930s when gold was discovered around that area. Some of you might know about Franklin Mountain. That's where gold was discovered. So a lot of people come there trying to make their fortune or to make a decent living in some of the other trades that sprung up around there. About once a week in the evenings, After the working day was over, the miners would all climb on the back of a truck or a trailer and ride the Star, Ether, or Steeds to restock on supplies they might need to get them through through another week. In the area where the Franklin Mountain, the Black Ankle Gold Mine, is located, the soil there is very dark, rich, and fertile. These miners almost always were shoeless when they went into town and the black dirt from the area, mixed with a little water, made their feet discolored and dark. Everywhere the miners went, people would see the feet of the visitors and say, here come the black anklers. It was soon after the discovery of gold that black ankle from the miners with dirty feet got its name. So now you know, if you're ever traveling through North Carolina, and you see black ankle on the signs, on the road signs, remember what I told you. Bunch of miners going into town, their feet all black. Remember that mom I was telling you about in Uvalde? Ran into the school, saved her own kids while the police were threatening to arrest her and all this other complete, utter nonsense. Here's some more details on that that you might find interesting. This is from the news. I don't. It's my own local news, WSAZ Huntington News, Huntington, West Virginia News. 
Uh, WSAZ says that uh, mother recalls rescuing two sons from Uvalde school shooting. Angeli Rose Gomez, the mother of two boys, says she quickly rushed to her son's school after hearing there was an active shooter, May 24th. Moments after walking up to the school, face-to-face with law enforcement, she heard gunshots, then children screaming inside. Law enforcement was not doing what Gomez hoped. As she tried to get them to act, they handcuffed her. Still, without a doubt in her mind, Gomez knew she'd have to save her children herself. This woman is a... She should be a national hero. As soon as she was released from the cuffs, she jumped a fence and began banging on a nearby door where her older, where her older son's teacher saw her. Gomez said, You already have a gateway out. Just might as well come out. If I'm going to run out with him, y'all just come on too. Gomez safely got her older son and some of his classmates out, then went back for then went back for her younger son, running around the school and desperately searching for his classroom. Law enforcement approached her, telling her to calm down, and she demanded they start evacuating the classroom. When they did, her younger son ran out. Oh, the story don't end there. Nope. Gomez says that since that heroin day, she's been faced with scrutiny from law enforcement, even at her own home. The other night, she says, we were exercising, and we had a cop parked at the corner, flickering us with his headlights. Due to incidents like this, Gomez says she is currently separated from her children. Just so my sons don't feel like they have to watch cops passing by, stopping, parking, she said. You think that's the end of the story? Nope, it's not the end of the story. I'll tell you what, this woman should be a national hero. Uh, It's so incredible to me that this woman was able to do what hundreds of police officers were unwilling to do and do it in complete disobedience to them they they did not want to allow her to do what had to be done and she said screw all audience I'm going to do it anyway uh, let's see who's this from insider.com Angeli Gomez name sound familiar it's the same mom She's the one who ran in to save her two kids into the school. Insider.com says that Gomez told CBS that officers handcuffed her and tried to prevent her from entering the school. An official also threatened her with a probation violation if she told the media about her experience. These cops, I'll tell you what, they are really special, aren't they? They're really special. Um, living in Appalachia, I can tell you that in these small towns, which Uvalde apparently is, um, corruption like this is the norm rather than the exception. There's there's no checks and balances. There's no there's nobody from the outside who interferes. So you get these sorts of uh, of things where those in power abuse their power and they answer to nobody for it and it just kind of goes unchecked so an official threatened her with a probation violation if she 
went to the news and told them her real life experience of what she dealt with with on that day trying to save her children from the school with the cops getting in the way angelie gomez the uvalde mom this is uvalde texas by the way where that shooting took took place who ran into rob elementary school during a shooting to rescue her two sons told cbs she was handcuffed and threatened by police officers for talking to the media she says right away as i parked u.s marshals started coming toward my car saying that i wasn't allowed to be parked there and he said well we're going to have to arrest you because you're being very uncooperative oh really i'm being uncooperative you're going to arrest me because i'm being uncooperative while my children are in there possibly being assassinated you think you think i'm being uncooperative now you just wait i said this is gomez talking i said well you're going to have to arrest me because i'm going in there and i'm telling you right now i don't see none of y'all in there y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away if y'all don't go in there i'm going in there gomez was handcuffed and eventually released by officers while the shooting happened she made her way into the school by jumping a fence and pulled both of her and pulled both of her sons from the school saying she saw no officers inside as she walked through the halls the mother of two was also threatened with a probation violation she told cbs by a police official who told her that if she spoke to the media about her experience she may be obstructing justice there's somebody obstructing justice here isn't there and it's not this national hero miss gomez angelique gomez from uvalde texas yeah there is somebody obstructing justice it's the police official who doesn't want to be held to, to justice for his own indescribable failures a judge later told gomez that she was brave during the incident and her probation would be shortened despite the threats gomez told cbs if anything they were being more aggressive on us parents that were willing to go in there and like i told one of the officers i don't need you to protect me get away from me i don't need your protection if anything i need you to go in there with me to go protect my kids and if anything they were being more aggressive on us more interested in keeping us back than getting into that school now i just want to say that th- i i have tremendous respect for police officers and um i've i've had a couple of negative encounters with police officers one in philadelphia for sure boy that guy did not had no business being a police officer uh, as soon as he opened his mouth i knew exactly why he'd become a police officer but that's such a rare uh a rare example um you know in my life i've had many confrontations with police officers and they've always been very good to me i know a bunch of racists out there saying oh because you're white and you're male no it's because i i was respectful it was because i was respectful to them and i didn't go running i didn't pull a weapon i didn't make any sudden moves i didn't do anything to make them uncomfortable because i recognize that their job is hard enough as it is there's another story i have to tell you i guess it's going to be an episode of of campfire stories but 
Diana and I were coming back down uh, home, down to this area from Philadelphia to visit my friend Jeff. And at that time, my friend Jeff lived in uh, Ashland, Kentucky. So we were driving from Philadelphia to Ashland, Kentucky, getting real close there to the bridge. This was about 2 o'clock in the morning down in uh, Ironton, Ohio, driving through Ironton, Ohio on 93, I think it's called, and the lights went on behind me. It was a police officer. And uh, I pulled over. We were arguing. Diana and I were in a in the midst of a, a big argument. And that's actually probably why I was going over the speed limit because, man, it was getting it was getting heavy. And uh, so I was caught up in the argument. It was two o'clock in the morning. We'd been driving for hours on this curvy road. And uh, I said, "Oh my God, police officer!" So I pulled over. Guy got out. What I do. When I get pulled over, I don't know how you guys do it, but I don't go reaching for stuff. I don't go reaching for anything in the car, especially at night, because he's got his lights on my car. He can see the movements, right? I don't want to to make him stress out, the, the officer, so him or her. Don't want the officer to stress out any more than they're probably already under, like the stress they're already under pulling somebody over on a dark road at two o'clock in the morning so what i do is i keep my hands on the steering wheel and i just wait for, i put my window down wait for the officer to come to the door you know he'll shine the light on on you you can't see anything but i want him to see that my hands are on the steering wheel and that's what i did he says uh sir can you uh is everything all right? I said, yeah, yes, officer. Do, do you know how fast you're going? I said, uh, you know, uh, I don't. I don't know how fast I was going. Uh, I, I started to slow down as soon as I saw the lights behind me. So I'm I'm not certain how fast I was going. He says, well, you were going over the speed limit there. Can I see your driver's license and registration? So that's when I move, when he asks for it. And I I make slow moves. I don't do anything fast get my wallet out reach over slow movements so he can see everything and again this is not so much because i'm worried about getting shot although you can understand i mean i'm working with the understanding that if i act all disrespectful and i move fast and i that his nerves which are probably already on edge are not going to be calmed by that are they (laughs) so yes even as a white male I work with the understanding that my risk of getting shot greatly increases the less cooperative I am and the more sketchy my my behaviors are. So I just don't do that. I I remain respect respectful. But anyway, got him the driver's license and everything and before he left, Diana in a just one another moment of her brilliance, her her never-ending brilliance leans over to the officer and she says officer we were involved in a discussion in other words making it clear to him that she was angry at me (laughs) we were arguing he looked at me oh okay so he walked back to the car checked out my driver's license and everything oh uh, another thing he asked me was uh what are you doing here because i had a a philadelphia driver's license What what are you guys doing here it was it would have been unusual uh, very unusual 
for somebody from Philadelphia to be driving on that road. I told him, well, I, I'm from here. I, I, I grew up around here. Okay, okay. So he asked my driver's license and everything. And then Diana leans over, officer, we were having a serious discussion. He says, oh. He goes back to his car. He comes back, Mr. Barnett, you have a nice night. <laughs> so I think he felt sorry for me. He realized that I was getting the third-degree burn from my wife. And he took pity on me and let me go. So the point of all that is that I've had run-ins with cops. Uh, when I treat them respectful, they've always treated me res- respectfully, with the exception of that police officer in uh, Philly, who, no matter how respectful I was to him, he was trying to get under my skin. He was trying to make me mad. He was insulting me. He was talking down to me. He was being cruel even then my common sense told me you you treat this guy like he's the king of france don't say anything insulting if he gets insulted apologize for it and that's what i did but it really uh they ended up letting me go uh which is interesting but that was only because there were other cops there but i had run uh, a red light i had stopped at a red light i had um Stopped at a red light in the city. That light turned green, and I had a left turn. So I turned left, and immediately after I turned left, there was another light there, which I did not see. So I ended up going right through that light, uh, which was a red light, and I almost caused an accident, but they they let me go. All of the other police officers um, that were there that night were very kind to me and respectful it was just that one guy who you could just tell loves the smell of his own farts and that's the why that's the reason why he become a cop because he's got a lot of insecurities going on inside of him and that's the way he makes up for it is with a badge of authority that type of a person does not does not need to be a cop but anyway i'm just telling you all this because i have great respect for the for for police in general and so this this whole story coming out of Uvalde is it's unusual. I mean, there's an unusual level of incompetence and corruption there. Well, as always, I had a lot more to talk about. Let's see if I can tell you another story. All right, one last story, one last campfire story. You heard me talk about Lolly, the Georgian girlfriend I had at the time when I was trying to figure out what am I dealing with here back before my authentic recovery from borderline personality disorder and it was it was her it was she who came to me and said yeah I think this is what you're dealing with when I say she was from Georgia I don't mean the state of Georgia I mean the country of Georgia so out there around Ukraine Russia she was a a nanny a housekeeper that's how she made her living just a beautiful woman beautiful woman so salt of the earth and uh, a pure heart pure hearted person I miss her I miss her a lot when she was doing this work as a, a nanny and a housekeeper and those sorts of things at one point she was uh, 
watching this house for a rich family and the family was on vacation and they had left their dog with her now i don't remember what kind of dog it was or anything like that but she was it was her job to take care of the dog take care of the house all these things keep the house organized clean one day she opens up the door dog runs right out so lolly goes running down the street yelling for this dog come back here come back here come back calling it by name everything it's running around crazy all around the neighborhood she cannot get that dog to come back to her and every time she starts to get close here we are come here come here buddy come here dog runs away from her she said she went about this for like an hour and a half chasing this dog all over philadelphia and after about an hour and a half into it it occurs to her wait a second this dog doesn't speak Russian. <laughs> she was speaking Russian to the dog. This dog speaks English. And so she goes in English, hey doggy, whatever the dog's name was, come here, come here. He comes right to her. After like an hour and a half of her chasing that dog around, saying the same thing to it in, in Russian, come here, come here, no, come here, buddy, come here. It won't listen to her until she realizes that the dog doesn't speak Russian. The dog speaks English. I laughed so hard at that story when she told me that. I mean, I could not stop laughing. And I've never forgot that because never in my life before that story did it ever occur to me of thinking of dogs as speaking one language or another. But it's true. The family all speaks English. So everything that dog is around all the time is English. You start speaking Russian to that dog, it just sounds like nothing. Nothing there to recognize. Nothing there to... It just sounds like nothing. But the instant she starts speaking to it in English, it responded to that to that, and come to her. Isn't that crazy? That dogs, probably cats too, we can say that they speak one language or another because even though they don't speak it, it's the one they're around all the time and they've come to understand and be familiar with. So I know that if I'm talking to my old buddy, Braddy, if I say treat, you want treat? Man, that, he perks up. He's ready to go. And um, if I say you want to take a walk, yeah, boy, he's ready to go do that too. But if I were to start talking to him in Spanish, he wouldn't know what the heck I was saying. He wouldn't respond to that at all. So I wanted to share that with you. Oh, Lolly, my, I'll tell you what, that Lolly was one of the most beautiful women to this day. She remains one of the most beautiful women, I just naturally beautiful, that I have ever met in my entire life. Combined with not an ounce of arrogance or self-importance at all. So down to earth. And, um. Like I said, I, I love her. I miss her. What a great uh, what a great friend she was. So many good qualities. I hope she's doing good out there. So that's my show for today. And the things I didn't get to talk to tonight, uh, we'll talk about next week. How's that sound to you? Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining me. This is Brian Barnett signing off. Have a wonderful weekend. Do something nice for yourselves. Mm-hmm.